And I'm really sorry if you're a little bit disappointed that I'm here uh, instead of some sort of uh, Father's Day kind of family service. But um, things changed slightly, so I've kind of stepped in to do this. So I hope you're not disappointed. I hope it will be okay. All right, if you've got your Bibles then, if you could turn to uh, Luke chapter 15. And uh, if you haven't, it's okay anyway, because I'm going to read it to you. I, um, as you're doing that, I guess that there are kind of two important things when it comes to the Christian faith, when it comes to Christianity. And um, that is, I guess, knowing and living in the knowledge of the Father's heart towards you, of God's heart towards you, knowing that, knowing how much Father God loves you. And the other part is doing something with that knowledge, trying to live, I guess, our life in light of the example that God has given us, that's set for us in Jesus. To know God's love, and I guess to show God's love. It's capturing the Father's heart. And today's message, I've entitled it just that, Capturing the Father's Heart. It is Father's Day today. And we have all sorts of different experiences of what a father is in our lives. Some of us good, some of us not so good. But what we all have in common is one thing. We have a God who says he's our father. No matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, there is a God who loves us, a God who says, I'll be your father. I'll display to you everything that a father should be. And this parable in Luke 15, it's called the parable of the lost son. But I actually think that it could well be called the parable of the two lost sons. And I want to look at this again today. We've looked at it probably many times. But just to see how it's going to speak to us about this idea of capturing the Father heart of God. So let's read this together. Uh, Luke 15, verse 11. Jesus continues. He's speaking to the followers. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, 
How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And meanwhile, the older son was in the field When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been saving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. It's a great story that Jesus tells to try and convey some sort of message to us, some sort of meaning, something about God. That father in the story represents for us God's heart, God's love for each and every one of us. Now the younger son, he knew the heart of his father towards him. But he hadn't adopted that heart in his own life. He hadn't adopted that same attitude that his father had for him. The older son had adopted the father's heart in the sense of doing the good thing, doing the right thing, but he'd failed to see the love of the father towards him. Two different situations, two sons, both lost. Let's look first at this younger son. When we read the Bible... It's really hard for us sometimes because we read it in a context of a westernized society in 2013. So we see it differently to the way this story would have been seen right back then. And we might be shocked by the story in the sense that the younger son goes to his dad and asks for the property and asks for his inheritance now. If someone did that today, we'd probably be quite shocked about it, but not half as shocked as the Jewish people back then. For someone to do that back then was just awful. It was just would bring so much shame on the family. To demand your inheritance was the biggest offence. It was saying, actually, Dad, I wish you weren't here. I want my inheritance. And this younger son just had absolutely no regard for his father. There was no honouring of his father here, no respect for his father. A complete... I'm going to turn my back on you. I just want what I can get from you. And he goes off and he lives this reckless, wasteful existence, squanders everything that the father had given him. Doesn't care for his dad, doesn't really care much else for anybody else, 
but himself abuses the gift that the father's given. And the younger son doesn't just go down the road, but he just goes far off. It says he goes off to a far country, way away from the father's house. But the son, the younger son, does know the father. He does know the love of the father. He does know the acceptance of his father. This is not a son living recklessly, wastefully, without any knowledge of his father's existence. It's not like one day he suddenly realises and has this revelation of a father and wants to go back to him. He already knows that. He's already had the encounter with his father. He's already experienced the love. He's already experienced um, everything that his dad could give him. This younger son knows the father's heart of love. But he hasn't acknowledged that in order for his life to change and for his life to be different. He would have known his father's expectations of how to behave, of how to conduct himself, of how to live in the right way. His father would have been an example for him and wanted him to follow in his footsteps, but the younger son has rebelled against this. And let's not fool ourselves. If we look at verse 17, the younger son says this, when he came to his senses... When he came to his senses, this is what he said. How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out. I'll go back to my father. I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. So he gets up, he goes back. This isn't really a true repentance going on. This is a younger son who's gone away, squandered everything that the father had given him, not lived in the right way, not lived righteously, and now says, look at me, I'm in a right state. Look to where I've got to. I know what I'll do. I'll go back to my father. I'll say this. This is a plan that he has. It was a kind of like, I have an idea. I'll get myself out of this situation. Repentance. He's going to pay for the damage he's done, but it's going to be on his terms. This is his idea, his solution to his problem of how he's been living. I'll go back. I'll see if I can get back in. But the father's plan towards him was grace. And we see that, don't we, as the younger son comes back. Grace in abundance, despite the reasons for the younger son's repentance, despite whatever's going on in his thinking as he comes back, the father's heart expressed to his younger son is pure love. The fact that he's back is enough. The fact that he has made the steps back to God, back to his father in this story, is enough. Never mind how he's got back. He's here. And so the father lavishes grace lavishes forgiveness, lavishes acceptance on his younger son. Now, the younger son probably all along had known and maybe thought that that's what the father's reaction would be, one of acceptance back into the family. And why do I say that? Well, it was a risk him going back, a really big risk, to go back to that community, to go back to that town, wherever it was, the village, was a big risk. He was risking it. And so he probably had an idea 
that his father would be there for him because the shame was so much back then, this story back in the Jewish day, to go back would have been highly risky for him, for his life. So in his thinking, he's rebelled, he's wasted, he's done stuff wrong, he's messed up. I'll go back. I think my dad will love me still and accept me. I'll see, I'll chance it. And he goes back. He had known the father's heart. He'd known the love. He'd experienced it before. But he hadn't let this influence his choices, his decisions, the way he lived his life. We've been called not just to know the love of God, not just to know the grace of God, but to demonstrate it through the way we live and what we do and our actions. In Romans chapter 12, verse 9, Paul says this, Hate what is evil, but cling to what is good. And if we genuinely love God with all our hearts and souls and mind, then we will genuinely hate sin and we will genuinely hate what's evil. It's easy for us to think of a God of love. That's great, isn't it, to think of a God of love and that God who loves us. But when you have a God that is pure love, then of course there's going to be things that he hates. And he hates evil. And he hates to see evil happening in the world. And he hates sin. And sometimes we can get a little bit more uncomfortable with that because it challenges us. If we truly follow God's example of love, then we will love what is right and we will love what is good and we will love what is pure. Psalm 97.10 says this, that those who love the Lord hate evil. This younger son knew his father He knew the love of his father and he knew the acceptance and grace of his father. But he had chosen to turn his back on that and he had chosen to walk away and he had chosen to live in the wrong path and he had chosen to live unrighteously. He goes back to the father because he did know the love of the father and the father lavishes grace upon him. We have been called to live right and live well and live good. Let me give you a little story. A man was being followed by a stressed out woman right on the bumper of a busy main road. Suddenly the traffic light turned red just in front of him. He did the right thing and stopped just in time, even though he could have beaten the red light by accelerating quickly. How many of us have done that before? The woman behind was furious. She honked her horn, screaming in frustration as she missed her chance to race through, dropping her makeup and mobile phone. How many of us have done that? As she was still in mid-rant, she heard a tap on her window and looked up into the face of a very serious police officer. The officer ordered her to exit the car with hands up. He took her to the police station where she was searched, fingerprinted and photographed. She was then placed in a holding cell. After a couple of hours, the policeman approached the cell and opened the door. She was escorted back to the main desk where the arresting officer was waiting with her belongings. He said, I'm very sorry for this mistake. You see, I pulled up behind your car and while you were blowing the horn and shouting all kinds of words at the guy in front of you, I noticed the what would Jesus do bumper sticker and the choose life license holder and the follow me to Sunday school bumper sticker and the chrome plated fish emblem on the back and naturally I'd assumed you'd stolen the car. 
you know what? Actually, sometimes we choose to do the wrong thing. That's a silly little example. But it could go further into making the wrong decisions and choosing to do things that we know would displease our Father God. We're called to love good and do what's pure and do what's right and hate evil. You know, I've been driving around these past few weeks with a poster in my car for our ladies' event for the Friday just gone. I've never driven so well in the last three weeks because I knew it had the Lance Elim Church written on it. And I thought, I must be a good advert. I can't believe it took a poster to get me to make sure that I didn't just go over the speed limit or whatever it was on the roads. But I was thankful I took it down yesterday. (laughs) I joke half. You know what? When others look at us, when we say we do love God and we do know the Father's love and the Father's heart towards us, do we show that? in our righteous living, in the way that we conduct ourselves? Do people see that in us? How's our attitude looking today? How's our life looking? The decisions we make, the choices. Are we choosing what's good? I want to show a little clip. Is that all right, Mike? You know, a little example there, isn't it? That famous footprints um, story. But... You know, God challenges us to change and to grow and and to obey. And sometimes we don't. And sometimes our ears are shut. And, you know, we don't want to take that stand. And we don't want to obey what God wants for our lives. And actually, we're challenged to do so. And this younger son, maybe we find ourselves in the situation of the younger son today where we know God and we know the Father. We know his love towards us and we've experienced his acceptance. But we maybe turn our back. And we've gone and done our own thing and lived our own way and lived recklessly or wastefully or just away from God, making the wrong decisions. Or maybe we're like the older son. And the older son has got this. He's got the idea of how to live righteously and follow the example that his father had set out for him. But what he didn't realise and didn't know was how much the father really loved him and accepted him and that everything he had was his. He knew the expectation of how to live because he says this, the older son says this, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. He's lived righteously. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. He'd lived well. He'd lived righteously for many years, for all these years. He got that he should be obedient. He got that he should be a good demonstration of love, but he'd not fully understood the Father's heart. And this prevented him from being joyful. He'd lost his his attitude as well as losing this idea of who his father was. It says in verse 28, he became angry, like his father owed him something. He was showing obedience, but without the joy, obeying God really as a means to an end. He didn't have that intimacy with his father that he could have done. You never threw me a party. I never had a party with my friends. 
But he didn't get how much the father loved him. He didn't get how much the father had always been there for him and that everything the father ever had was his anyway. And how much the father wanted to give to him and how he wanted to be intimate with that son. Maybe the older son never felt good enough. Maybe he was doing all this stuff, obeying what the father wanted and never felt like he quite cut it, like he was not doing enough for his father, not pleasing his father enough. And so maybe it was heartbreaking for him to see his younger brother come and be accepted and embraced like he was and given this massive feast and celebration when in the older son's mind, the younger, his younger brother hadn't earned it. He hadn't been living right, he hadn't been obeying, he hadn't been doing the right thing, towing the line. The older son had not realised just who his father was. That his father was the type of father that runs to meet his sons. He didn't know that. So when he saw it, he didn't like it. He just didn't get it. He didn't realise that he had a father who was ready to move. He didn't realise he had a father that was ready to act. Because when the younger son comes back, we see the father's feelings towards him because he runs out to meet him. He runs out to grab a hold of his son. Why does he do that? Why does he run out to his son? To show compassion, yes. To show acceptance, yes. But as I said before, this was a tight-knit community. This would have been a community where everybody knew everybody's business. And the shame on the family was so great that they wouldn't have accepted that son back into their community, the, the people around. And the father knew that. And there was a ceremony that was performed. If there was someone who brought shame on the family, they would, the people would smash a large pot, basically saying, you're not welcome anymore. We don't want you here anymore. You're not accepted. And the father knew that. So the father knew that he had to get to his son before everyone else did. He had to rush out and grab hold of his son and accept him before everyone else got to him and attacked him. And that was the type of father that he was. The father that would say, it doesn't matter about the shame. It doesn't matter. I love you. I want you. You're back. And the older son had not realised that that was the father he had. All this time, that the father loved him in exactly the same way. And that everything he had was his anyway. He'd followed the example of his father in his righteous living, but he hadn't captured the father's heart for himself. He'd not understood grace. The father's solution was always grace. Grace over judgment. Grace, non-conditional. No agendas or expectations, just grace. Grace that says, I'll have you back, even if you stumble back for all sorts of different reasons, I'll welcome you back. You're here, you're mine. You belong to me. And we can live like this older son. We can live in this way of doing the right stuff and doing the right thing and living righteously but failing to realise just how much God loves us and just how much God wants to know us and how much his heart aches for us. And we can do all this stuff and not realise that. And we can think that all our good deeds and all our good work and all our righteous living and obedience to the teachings of God are going to be the thing that gets us favour when actually it wasn't God's heart 
the father's heart for this older son was always for him. He loved him. And we can live like that sometimes, not realising, just trying to be righteous and actually missing the love and intimacy that the Father God offers us. Two different sons, two different situations, I feel and I think both lost in some way. The younger son, maybe he had captured the father's heart towards him. He knew he was loved. He knew he'd be forgiven and accepted. But he'd failed to realise failed to realise the need to capture capture the Father's heart for how to live his life. He'd not lived righteously, he'd sinned, he'd disobeyed his Father. We can be like that, living in the knowledge of God's grace, but living selfishly and living for ourselves, doing things that are sinful, that are not good, that are not pure, that are not lovely, praiseworthy or excellent. The older son who lived righteously, followed the father's example but failed to capture the father's heart towards him and understand how much he loved him we can be like this older brother living righteously obeying God's rules and standards of purity but missing the point and not realising God's love not realising that there's nothing we can do to make the father God love us any more or love us any less nothing absolutely nothing And if you're like me, sometimes you live in between the two. Sometimes you're like the older son and you forget God's love and grace. Sometimes you're like the younger son and, you know, you mess up and you stuff up and and you don't live the way God would want you to. It's a balance. The Christian life is a balance of the two married together. But the sad thing is, is that both these sons had failed to truly capture the father's heart for other people and to love others. The younger son had not thought about anyone but himself. It was all about him, all about what he wanted, his life, what he was doing. It was a selfish existence, really. He'd not thought about his father, not thought about his older brother, just gone off and left his family. The older brother had no compassion for his younger brother. He hadn't tried to go and see him or find him or do anything towards him. His attitude was one of contempt towards his brother. He had no love towards him. In verse 30, it says, this son of yours, he talks to his dad, like this son of yours, as if it's no connection to him. This purity had bred within him a superiority. But when the father's heart, all along the father's heart in the story, is displayed of love towards others, putting others first, it's all about the sons and not about him. Everyone else's needs, the well-being of others before him. And the sons, the two sons, failed to capture the essence of that father's heart, that expression towards others. And we can often be like this as well. We can know we're loved by God. We can live righteously, but not actually display the father's heart towards everybody else that we come in contact with, through our words, through our deeds, through our actions, through our thoughts. How are we living for other people? In Romans chapter 12, I was looking at before, Paul talks about loving others and what that looks like on a practical basis. Jesus himself says this, that all men will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. Love must be sincere. 
in verse 9. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. We're told in the Bible that love is the greatest thing. Of all the virtues, love is the greatest thing. Why? Because God is love. And if we're demonstrating that to people... If we're demonstrating our love for God, we should be demonstrating our love for others as well. Paul says, let your love be sincere. Don't be hypocritical. Let your love be sincere. Share with those who are in need. Practice hospitality. Reaching out to others in love is part of walking in love. There will be a day, it says in the Bible, when Jesus will say, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous will respond and say to the Lord, when did we do these things for you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. What a great passage, what a great little verse that Jesus speaks about. When we help others, when we love others, we are doing it as unto Jesus himself. To reach out. And Paul says to practice hospitality. If you actually look at that Greek word, it means the love of strangers, to love strangers. We know hospitality now as inviting people to our home, having a meal. Oh, they're very hospitable. And uh, that's great, and that's a great thing to do. But here it's saying it means actually practice loving strangers, loving people that you don't even know, that are not even connected to you, that are not your family or your friends. People who are maybe not even going to give you anything back in return. How often we can get frustrated. Well, maybe it's just me. When you give something to someone and you don't get anything back, like you don't even get a thank you or whatever it is, and we go, oh, well, that was a bit mean, whatever. So we give with a little bit of an expectation, but it says, you know, you just love without any expectation of getting anything back. It's the Father's heart in verse 14 that says, putting our love into action, blessing those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. This Greek word again is eulogize. We think of a eulogy at a funeral, don't we? It means to speak well of somebody to speak well of them and this here bless those who persecute you it's meaning speak well of those who persecute you speak well of them that's a challenge isn't it well it is for me when people aren't great to you when people aren't brilliant and they're not great to speak well of them that's difficult but the bible tells us to do that because it's all about expressing and demonstrating and capturing the father's heart of love towards other people. Are we doing that? The sons had not captured that, but we are called to. It's the Father's heart in Philippians 2 when Paul wrote, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look, should not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. It doesn't say to not look at your interests. It says, but not look only at yours. Look to others, not to do things out of selfish ambition. Today I wonder, as I close, whether we have fully captured the Father's heart, God, the Father's heart, 
in all its aspects of what that means. Do we know the Father's heart towards us? Do you know how much God loves you? Do you know how accepted you are by God? And how gracious he is towards you? There are times in our life when we go around with our head low because we think God's disappointed with us, God's upset with us, God will be angry and turn his back on us, when all along the Bible says there is no condemnation for those in Christ. We are loved and accepted and forgiven by the Father God, each and every one of us. Have we truly captured the essence of that in our own lives? Are we carrying around that in our life? Are we living in that hope and promise? Are we living in that great knowledge that we really are the apple of God's eye? That we really are chosen by him? That we really are special and loved by him? Nothing we can do can make him love us any more or any less nothing no sin no brilliant good work nothing because he loves you absolutely unconditionally with an everlasting love and there are times in our life maybe then we don't know that and we haven't captured the father's heart have we captured the father's heart to demonstrate it in the way we live when we put that spotlight on us to live well and to live righteously and to, to try and, and obey what God has called us to do. Yes, God won't turn his back on us if we do things wrong and yes, he'll still love us exactly the same. But if we fully capture the Father's heart, we recognise and realise that there's a way to live our life righteously. Are we doing that? And finally, are we demonstrating the Father's heart in our actions and in our attitudes and our approach to other people and the way we respond to things. You know, you may be in a place today, you may be one of those places, somewhere something in that story has connected with your heart, the younger son, the older son, I don't know. You may be in a place today where you don't know the Father's heart, you don't know God the Father. You've never experienced or encountered God the Father before. You don't know of his love and his grace. You don't even know... The, the way to live or anything because you've not experienced that. Well, today I, I want to encourage you to just try and see, does that make sense? Does this God thing make sense? You know, I truly believe in this. I truly believe that I'm loved and, and accepted by God and forgiven. And maybe there's a question today of will you journey with that embracing of the Father's heart to figure out, to see what it is for your life. Because the story shows us this. Jesus was saying that the Father is always there. The Father is always waiting. He waits for the younger son. He waits for the older son. He's always there. And it's us, as his children, are the ones that are to respond to that. And are we going to? respond to that in whatever way that might be this morning. I'm going to play a, a little song to you now uh, on the screen and the words are going to come up and I just want us to spend just this three or four minutes while this song is on looking at these lyrics 
and thinking about what's been said this morning and to connect with that message of the Father's heart. Where in our lives do we need to capture it? What part do we need to know more in our life? And as these words are up here and as they play to us, let's just meditate on these things for our own life. Thank you. It's great. Thank you for listening to this free download from Delancey Elim Church. For more downloads or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelim.co.uk. If you would like the videos shown in this podcast, then please look at the Delancey Elim Facebook page or see the description of this podcast.